Today's episode is presented by Lodestar, the fee experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Um, our guest today is Anton Tonev, uh, co-founder of Inspect HOA, um, friend and partner of ours. So um, Inspect AOA is a company that's basically revolutionizing how vendors in the industry and p- folks in the industry deal with homeowners associations. Um, it's something I know very, very little about, um, so I'm excited to learn more from Anton today. Um, so Anton, thanks so much for coming on. Um, would love to hear about you know what you're doing in it, Inspect AOA, and then just also you know what got you into the industry? Why are you you know solving this problem? Jim, and thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, it's a funny story. So I met my co-founder, one of my co-founders with Shruti in 2014 when we started working together mm-hmm. on the trading floor of one of the larger hedge funds out there. And in 2016, I was buying my apartment in Stanford, Connecticut. And it was the first mm-hmm. time I was hearing of HOAs. And I was quite surprised that they wanted $350 from me every month. Yeah. And I started asking Bishop all these questions. What are HOAs? What do they do? Why do they need all this money? Because I knew I had a property in an HOA. He couldn't answer most of my questions, but I was lucky enough to know somebody else in the community that I was buying into. So they mm-hmm. gave me all the HOA documents on time. I did my due diligence and I've been very happy with my HOA. Mm-hmm. Vishrut, on the other hand, my co-founder who didn't do his due diligence had a very bad experience with his HOA. His fees skyrocketed from $600 up to $1,000 in the course of 12 months. Wow. And we figured that if we are having these issues, then maybe others are as well. So then mm-hmm. we were like, can we start a side hustle where we help people understand the HOA that they're buying into? Mm-hmm. And that's when Atin joined uh, my third co-founder because he's, uh, he's a great operations guy. We quickly realized uh, helping people understand their HOA is painful and we didn't want to do a B2C business in this space for multiple reasons. We as founders didn't feel like B2C is the right space for us. And it also meant constantly going after people who are buying new homes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then we started thinking who in this space is needing help with HOAs. And it turned out that title companies, lenders, big real estate investors are the ones suffering from kind of dealing with HOAs uh, mm-hmm. on, on a daily basis because they do hundreds of transactions every month. Mm-hmm. Once we realized this, once we made this pivot, things started to click. And since then, we've been servicing the industry and we've seen fantastic uh, traction. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the one thing that I want to say is like, we're just starting with HOAs, but there's other problems that we see in the real estate industry that we believe we're uniquely positioned to solve. So this mm-hmm. is a little bit about how we started. And, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot I, I get from your story with mine, um, with, with even what I've been through with Lodestar of, you know, do we provide things to the end consumer? They only buy a house once every, you know, 20 years. This isn't really going to make sense, but it, it's such a disintermediated industry. Everything's so fragmented, right? So like being able to step in makes a lot of sense. Um, how many, on general, how many properties have HOAs? Like how big of a problem is this? I, I bought a house, we don't have an HOA. So in the US, there are around 400,000 HOAs. And mm-hmm. if you look at the different estimates of the market size, there are around 100, 120 million people living within an HOA. Wow. And one simple way to look at it is if you have 320, 30 million people in the US, around 100 and something are living in rental properties and rental apartments, they usually don't have HOAs. Yep. Out of the other 200-ish million, around half of them are living within an, an HOA. 
Mm-hmm. And something interesting that we learned like a couple of years ago is that 75% of new uh, construction for sale is within an HOA. Mm-hmm. So the market is big around, let's say, 50%, but it's also growing because HOAs are becoming a bigger and bigger part of the construction buildings. Mm-hmm. So when it's going well, what is the purpose of an HOA? How does it, what does it serve? Um, you said you had a good experience with yours. I think inherently HOAs are a fantastic thing and they're there to make sure everyone in the community lives in peace and everyone respects each other and they Mm -hmm. maintain all the common areas and then the value of the property increases over time because all the common areas are well maintained. So in general, we're 100% big fans of HOAs. The Mm -hmm. problem is that there's, like I said, 400,000 of them. A lot of them are not tech enabled, so they operate using phone, fax, checks, and money orders. Mm-hmm. And it's a pain if you're a title and escrow officer or a loan officer. If you have to do your due diligence on the HOA, which by law you have to, it becomes mm-hmm. a big pain figuring out if there is an HOA and how to get in touch with them and, and other things. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing then is you're basically aggregating information on those 400,000 HOAs and delivering them to the folks who need them. Hundred percent, yeah. So, to the biggest, of, uh, to the best of our knowledge, we have the largest HOA database in the industry. We have the contact information and some data for around hundred and twenty or hundred and thirty thousand HOAs, which is a big number, but it's still like 30 percent of the market. Uh, mm-hmm. But what we help our clients with is one: figure out if there is an HOA and how to contact them. Unfortunately, right now they have to rely on the seller for this information, which means you're chasing him to get or her to get that information to you. Oftentimes, they don't know that they have an HOA and a master HOA, or there is three HOAs, or that the property manager changed. So Mm -hmm. if you have to deal with this information, you're on your own. Once you figure out that there is an HOA, you don't know how to contact them. There is no central database. You have to Google or figure Mm -hmm. out based on your previous experience. Then these documents that you need to get for a transaction to happen, usually they cost money. And depending Mm -hmm. on where you are and how you're regulated, you might not be able to pay for them yourself. So we have to ask the seller, I know you're moving out in six weeks, but can you please pay $400 to the HOA so we can get the documents? Mm-hmm. Very unpleasant experience for yeah. sellers. Well, then not to mention, if you don't know there's an HOA, right, that goes against your monthly costs and your debt-to-income calculations. 100%. So now you're paying $400 more. A borrower could lose the deal because they don't know, you know, they don't have that, those, that in their budget. We recently had an experience where one of our clients, like they knew about the first HOA, but they didn't know there is a sub and a master and the master added a little bit more to that. And the lender was no longer happy because the LTV didn't make any sense anymore. And one of my favorite stories, I mean, it was a kind of sad story, but uh, one of our clients, when we were still doing this B2C kind of uh, thing, she was Mm -hmm. buying an apartment. Nobody told her anything about the HOA. They used our product and she figured out that there was a pet policy that didn't allow any pets in the in, in the building. And she had a cat that was part of her family. And actually the deal fell through because she didn't want to kind of give up somebody from her family when she was moving in. Yeah. So a lot of things you need to be aware of when you're kind of moving into an HOA community and title companies, lenders are there to help you, but they're doing so many things for a yeah. closing. So oftentimes like you have to really be on top of things. Right. And I mean, it seems like often the person that knows the area best is the realtor and that's not really their responsibility, right? At the end of the day. It's not, but what we've seen is that some realtors like love what we do and like the data we give them and they're like, uh, this is perfect. No matter if I'm with the seller or the buyer, I can help them with like having this at my fingertips instead of having to go through hundreds of pages of documents. Mm-hmm. Of course, with realtors, some are fantastic and some maybe are a little bit more transactional and then don't want to go that much into the details. So I guess you have to pick the people that you work with on the transaction. But uh, yeah, there's fantastic people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So um, what do you wish homebuyers, especially first-time homebuyers, you mentioned you and your co-founders' experiences, which is great. Um, what do you wish they knew about the process and what they knew about HOAs? Because admittedly, I know next to nothing. I've never dealt with HOAs. So something that was very surprising to me is that uh, your HOA spend is the second largest expense around owning a home after your mm. mortgage. And often people don't realize that. And we touched upon it earlier in the conversation. Mm. And another thing that's simple but people miss is that HOA fees don't stay constant. They go up through time. Mm -hmm. And if you look historically, they've increased by 6% above inflation. So wow. the fact that you're paying $350 this year doesn't mean you'll be paying $350 right. in 10 years. You're probably paying six or $700. So it's good to have this in mind when you're buying in. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's very important is all these CCNRs, like uh, rules, regulations, and stuff like that, like pet policies, leasing restrictions. If I'm an investor who has several properties, I need need to ensure I can lease that property. Otherwise, I have no business buying it because I cannot lease it. Yep. And, and this is purely from their point of view. But the other thing is that HOAs can completely derail transactions if the title officer or the loan officer don't have all the information on time. And that's a very bad experience for the buyer, for the seller, yeah. for the realtor, for anyone. So find the right people you're working with. And at the same time, they have to deal with 20 other things. Be on top of them. Ask them how you can help. Ask them, did they get the documents? Is everything looking fine? Mm -hmm. Is the seller current on their fees? These are very important things uh, that mm -hmm. are very hard to find by because HOAs, like I said, hard to find. Somebody has to pay for the documents. And ultimately, when you get all these documents, they're 300 pages long. If you're mm -hmm. a loan officer and you want to figure out if Fannie and Freddie are going to buy the loan from you, you have to extract the information from these 300 okay. pages, summarize it, see, click, yes, no, click, no, yes, right. and then figure out, okay, Fannie will probably buy it. Yeah. It's very painful if you're doing it manually. And I feel like HOAs are often um, cast as kind of the villains, right? My in-laws have an HOA and they have to, oh, we have to clean the mold off the wall because of the damn HOA, right? Like the HOA is stopping deals. They're not allowing some to have a pet, right? I feel like they're very often kind of cast as, you know, this the, this adversarial uh, figure. 100%, 100%, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's what usually happens. <laughs> yeah. So so in your business, and I see you have kind of a, a finance and engineering background. Um, like myself, I'm an engineer. Um, how do you kind of leverage technology in doing this, right? Like how do you um you, you have a very manual process, right? Just like us with 3,500 recorder of deeds offices throughout the country. Um, so how do you leverage technology to solve this problem? We start from the beginning of the process, like figuring out if there is an HOA and how to contact them. So we're trying mm -hmm. to use all kinds of digital resources to get this information. And like I said, we already have it for around 130,000 HOAs. If you're doing this manually, you probably cannot do it this fast. Yeah. And then we built an internal tool that we are using and our team is using that is basically breaking down the whole task of acquiring and making sense of the HOA into small pieces. And you can imagine almost like a conveyor line where things are moving along very fast because it's not one person responsible for all the 12 right. steps of getting the documents. Mm -hmm. So this technology helps a lot. You can think about it as a, as a Jira or a Sana, but tailored towards HOAs and what you need to do with HOAs. Mm -hmm. But probably the most important thing is that we are not in the business of moving PDFs from HOAs to, to title companies and lenders. Once we get the documents, we extract the useful information from them. So first we OCR them because they're scanned PDFs very often. Yeah. And then we run them through our natural language processing or NLP algorithms. Our clients usually care about 10 data points, but they have to read 300 pages or at least right. skim through them to find the information. So we extract it, 
and we show it to them in the same way, no matter if the HOA is in California or Florida or Texas, mm -hmm. which means that all the information they need is at their fingertips and HOAs look exactly the same to them. So, mm -hmm. so this thing, making like HOA standardized and digitized is, I think, the biggest value that we're adding to the industry. No, that's that's fantastic, and I think it's it makes sense that it's beyond just a library, right? You're just not getting a document that you then have to go and, and filter three hundred pages through. You're actually able to um, see that. I love when when you see solutions like this that kind of leverage technology, and then also like the usability of it, right? Technology is great, but like OCR for the sake of the OCR isn't really doing anything. You have to make smart decisions with the data, so that's really that's really interesting. Um, so I want to talk about kind of how things have changed with HOAs in the market, but I saw you posted something on LinkedIn three days ago that I think is a great topic of, of conversation. I'm going to read out the, the post I noticed when I was preparing here. It was, uh, you're willing to bet dollars to donuts that U.S. mortgage rates will go at or below 6% by the end of the year. Uh, more important, that would set the stage uh, for 2023 when future leaders in the real estate industry will emerge. Um, Spoiler alert, they will be those who take advantage of the slowdown to bring on new technology, new partners. Um, and then we at Inspect HOA are doing our best to increase productivity. I love the post um, in terms of, you know, how people are taking advantage of the market right now. And that's something we talk about a lot. Um, I do think you're wrong, though, and I'm willing to bet some donuts on it. Um, I don't think they're going to go below 6%. We're sitting right now at about 7%. So if you want to bet some team donuts, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to place a wager. So Let's make it fair and make it cupcakes to donuts. What do you think? Cupcakes to donuts? I have a good cupcake place by my office, so that'd be perfect okay. then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know a good, you're in New York, I think, right? I have a good New York donut yeah. recommendation, so... I don't have a crystal ball, you know, it, it's just yeah. a bet. I think we've seen inflation peak and we've seen that last time rates went up, uh, mm -hmm. Fed funds went up, the two-year and the 10-year treasury actually went down. So I think mm -hmm. the spread between rates and mortgages are going to compress. If it's going to be 620 or 630, I'm yeah. still very happy with that. Right. Uh, but it, I, I'm so happy people are engaging with this post just because there is so much opposing views. And I think that's the reality about markets. If yeah. you're fantastically good at uh, like investments, you're probably right 52% of the time, but it's yeah. all about risk management and how you're placing those bets. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite posts, if I have to be honest. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I um, I talked to a client of mine, he's the head of a, of a large bank, um, about what he thought was going to happen with rates. And I think he summed it up well. He said, some people say 10%, some people say 5%. So I think there'll be somewhere in between, right? So like no idea whatsoever. 100%. Yeah. People tell me you have so much experience with fixed income and then with real estate must be great knowing all this i'm like all i know is i don't really know much and like i'm yeah. very cautious no matter what decision we make as a business or me personally so you mm -hmm. have to be prepared for all kind of scenarios and black swans yeah. and how do you feel like companies are using that time you mentioned that in that post of you know folks this is when new companies and companies kind of gain market share right so how are can companies take advantage of that slowdown right now Oh, you know, I think we've seen fantastic technology in real estate space in the last two, three years. And I think one of the biggest examples is probably like remote online authorization, things like mm -hmm. that, especially during the, the first months of the pandemic, the market would literally disappear if that wasn't there. So we we, 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 we talked to a lot of clients and some of them are, things are slow. Now is the right time to invest in learning about new technology, learning about new partners and figuring out who are the ones who are going to help us in the future. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, other people in the space are a little bit of a survival mode and they just want to go through this 
Mm-hmm. And I don't have a crystal ball, but I think now is the right time to understand what's out there, understand what your competitors are doing. How can you be more productive, more effective? How can you leverage technology from automation using production systems or using mm-hmm. uh, LOSs and, and, and everything in between to make mm-hmm. sure that tomorrow you can be having higher market share uh, at better margins? And mm-hmm. I think these are probably the people that will be successful in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's always a concern. Um, that technology is going to replace people, right? So people, they have to get to a breaking point. Either you're so busy that you're, let's just get this technology in and it'll help us deal with this volume or things are slow. So we're going to get rid of people one way or another. Um, So let's, you know, use this technology, right? And I wish that there was some happy medium, but I grew up in the title insurance industry. I've, I've been around, you know, the industry all my life. And it's always been those, that, that ups and downs of, you know, people literally like feeling like they're throwing bodies at problems and it's unfortunate. I think it's very important to acknowledge that real estate is a very personal experience. Buying a home is very personal and it's good to have somebody to hold your hand, walk you through the process. And I can't imagine a computer doing that anytime soon. So technology will help us with repetitive tasks, with manual tasks, with figuring out if there is an HOA or estimating the value of my loan, but it's not going to guide me through the whole process anytime soon. No, I think that's a great point too, because, you know, people talk about parts of the process going away, realtors, loan officers, and and I don't think they will, but ultimately a loan officer shouldn't be reading a 300 page document almost ever, right? Like that is not their job. They should be building that relationship with the consumer, trying to find, you know, that right product for them. So, mm-hmm. So one one question I have um, here is, you know, you have a, a wealth of experience. You mentioned coming from finance, um, working at a hedge fund. Um, running a company is different than that, right? So what has surprised you um, over the last couple of years running a business opposed to kind of being more in the in the finance world? How hard it is. <laughs> I think it's uh, probably uh, one of the hardest things I've done or if the hardest things I've done. And uh, mm-hmm. And how important the team is, because when you're part mm-hmm. of a team uh, that is kind of built around you as an employee, you appreciate nice people you're working with and so on. But now from a different point of view, I'm I'm seeing how important it is to find the right leaders that are heading different parts of our company, engineering or product or sales or marketing or our kind of financial a CFO. Like I trust them that they would build their teams mm-hmm. having in mind our cultures and so on. When you're just part of a team, you're happy that people are nice around you and maybe they're working as right. hard as you are, but you probably don't realize what a big impact picking these people had. And I really had a, uh, a, I have a very uh, uh, favorite quote from Netflix. And I think they had like some blockbuster. I forget uh, which one mm-hmm. it was. And one of the senior people told the CEO, it seems like we picked well. And he's like, what do you mean picked well? I didn't have anything to do with the movie. And he was like, no, but you picked me and I picked the person who picked the movie. So like finding the best team and how hard it is, but once it's done, how beautiful it is to see all these people yeah. pushing in the same direction, sharing the same cultural values. Mm-hmm. It's been very hard and very surprising, but I enjoy yeah. it like every single day. No, I think that's great. I mean, the difference of those employees versus employees that aren't a right fit is you know, a hundredfold. Right. And, and I, I definitely, I think you summed it up well with, for me, it's been, been seeing folks who carry kind of the mission and the values and the culture that you want, and then seeing them off and running. Um, it is amazing. It's a really, it's a really cool thing to see. It's like, you know, I, I have, I have a daughter, right. In some ways it's like you've, you're seeing this thing get created and kind of go off on its own. So it's, it's fun. 
Mm-hmm. I think we should also be afraid to kind of part ways with people that are not fitting our culture because yeah. it's good for them, it's good for us, and they're going to find something that's working much better for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are different stages in their life. They want to work hard. Right. They want to work less hard. They want to be more creative, less creative. So finding the right environment, no, no matter which side of the coin you're on, yeah. I think it's very important. Well, I think there's a piece of that too, because if you don't have that culture, that vision, all of that defined, you're going to spin your gears, right? Like I had an employee early on who, who was a salesperson. He came from the industry, right? He had all this experience. And he said, I don't want to sell calculators. So I tried to work something out. I tried to figure out these different things. If that happened to me now, I would say, there's the door. I, I'm a calculator company. This is all, this is all you'd be selling. So go, go, see, go do something else. But I had, to, I had to learn that lesson. Same, same with us. Uh, yeah. We had like a senior person. We had to part ways after six weeks, uh, but mm-hmm. it was in a very friendly way. Like we had both understood that's not the right fit. Yeah. Uh, but you know what we do? We invest a ton of time in hiring and screening people. For yeah. every single position, we identify what are the five or three or four strengths that we expect from that person. What are mm-hmm. willingness we're willing to tolerate? How are we going to test for each of them? And like we try to compare people like like one to one, not ask a bunch of questions, this person, a whole bunch of other questions, that person. Yeah. So spending time to understand what kind of person you need and how you're going to test for it, I think that increases your chances like probably mm-hmm. two or three times to find the right fit. Yep. I really like the, the way you said what you're willing to tolerate too. Like what are you willing to per, put up with, right? Like what skills are important? what things are less important for the role because you don't need people who are good at everything, right? You need people who are good at very, very specific things. For a lot of positions, the biggest uh, weakness we're willing to tolerate is lack of real estate experience because I don't think many things in the world are rocket science. So as long as you have everything else right, you can learn about real estate or finance or whatever it is yeah. if, you, if you have the right mindset and you're ready for it. Right, but then some things you can't teach, right? The the personal skills, the work ethic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, that's, I, I think you sum up a lot of things that we've, we've seen. So um, the last question we'd like to ask everyone um, this season is, what is your lodestar? What is your, your guiding light? What gets, gets you up in the morning, whether you're in the States, in Europe, like you are now, um, that people will notice the light difference here. Um, what gets you out of bed and excited to go in and build this company? I'm going to repeat myself, but it's really the people that I'm working with mm-hmm. and that we are building a team and um I'm just excited to go and uh, talk and see how we're going to solve the new problem. Because when you're building a company early on, there's always a new problem. You solve it and you're like, oh, fantastic. And then there's another thing. And then there's another thing. But with the right people, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes I tell my wife, it's like a game to me. Like I'm trying to improve and become better. And it's almost like an addiction. Mm -hmm. But extending this, I think it's also about uh, people that really inspire me are all the kind of unsung heroes of a real estate transaction, like, like the escrow officer, the loan officer, like... Ask, ask a buyer or a seller if they know the name of their escrow or loan officer. There's a good chance they don't. But unless yeah. they do their job and unless they're fully in control, that transaction is not going to happen and you're going to be unhappy and you're going to have like big monetary loss no matter which side you're on. So these people, the real true heroes of the transaction, like it's a pleasure working with them and trying to, to kind of help them in what they do. Well, as someone who grew up in a in a family owned title agency, that uh, you're you're speaking right to my heart on that one. So they're definitely there. Uh, a lot of transactions can go wrong, and people really don't don't realize how big of a component they are for the transaction. So, but uh, Anton, it was great to have you. I think you also win the award for the most festive background that we've had on this podcast. So, wishing you and, and your family happy holidays, um, and thanks again for for coming on today. 
Thank you for listening to Low Stars Lending Leader. Please like, subscribe, and rate us five stars anywhere you get your podcasts. I'd like to give a special thank you to the Lodestar team involved in the production of this podcast, including Elena Gardner, Tim Austin, and John Burnett.